Welcome back to America's leading higher education podcast, The EdUp Experience, where we make education your business. Hosts Dr. Joe Salustio, Elizabeth Liba, and producer Elvin Freites bring you the brightest and most influential minds in higher education today. We explore innovations, ideas, and issues in higher education and beyond, and hopefully have a little fun along the way. Now let's get to it. Whether you're pacing short for your start goals or your summer melt needs a cool down, your challenges can be overcome with the right partner. In collaboration with the EdUp Experience, our sponsors, MDT Marketing, are offering a free marketing consultation. Head to www.mdtmarketing.com edup and start your free consultation. It's direction for your unique situation that will help you ramp up your marketing and enrollment efforts, and it's all for free. Head to www.mdtmarketing.com slash edup. Welcome back, everybody. This is the EdUp Experience, where we make education your business, interviewing the brightest and most influential minds in higher education and beyond. We like to have a little fun along the way. My name is Dr. Joe Salustio. Always with me, the one, the only, the amazing, the incredible, Liz. Liz, how are you today? Love that. The one, the only, the amazing, the incredible. That's like, I would have to give you an A++. Well, thank you. I have this, uh, as I said before, I have this piece of paper. It's got words on it. I just got to check, 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 check. And I've got all these descriptor words just to see how many I can get into a short intro. You know, they have little things online, like little websites where you can put in the word and it gives you a whole bunch of synonyms. So maybe for next time. Well, I put I put in um, amazing words that start with L, so I can get an alliteration out of it. Wonderful alliteration, got it, got it. Well, you know, I'm creative writing teacher. I'm teaching poetry in my creative writing class, so I love that you threw that in there. Wonderful, warms my heart. Well, you know, let me tell you, listen, I'm having this problem, Um, and this problem is a microphone problem. I um, our 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 producer, uh, Elvin Freitas. Elvin Freitas, he, oh, uh, he he's finding it um, funny. I don't know at this point to text me every time we have an episode. He says too close to the mic, too oh, far from the mic, too huh. much uh, static. You're this. Gotcha. And so, you know, I bought this microphone thinking that I was all professional, right? Like mm. we're doing enough of these podcasts. That's not professional. We have a mm-hmm. very professional guest on today. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. a technology guy. And mm. it's like, you know, I got to show off that I know how to use Absolutely. this microphone. Absolutely. But I apparently I can't do it. So it's like uh, you using Zoom. It's the same thing. <laughs> Yeah, my Zoom skills have, yeah, a lot to be desired, but I don't get texts from Elvin telling me, get close to the microphone. I know, so it's like it's dad texting me. <laughs> it's like my dad texting me like, Joe, get you too far. And I'm like in the middle of a meet, you know, I'm, mm. I just, I don't know if I can handle it. Elvin, if you're listening to this. Oh, he I, will be. I, I know he will. I don't know if I'm too close or too far away, but you're going to have to it let sound me Sound great to me. Someone well, else thanks, sounds great. Speaking of people who sound great. <laughs> We have a great, an amazing, incredible guest for you. And he's on the line right now. We apologize that he had to even be a part of that conversation. His name is <laughs> Ryan Collins, and he is CEO of the Bethel School of Technology, better known as Bethel Tech. Ryan, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Sorry you had to be a part of that, Ryan. I, I, think I enjoyed about- it. I, you know, I didn't have my afternoon coffee, so this is like the equivalent of my afternoon coffee. So I'm loving it. Oh, I'll wow. take that as a compliment. <laughs> yeah, me too. You should. You should. Me too. Liz, you're, 
you're like um i'm trying to think of you know if you're the extra caffeine coffee or if i'm am i the I'm espresso like, and you're the i'm you're like the a cuban like, i'm like a cuban shot that you get right there in the heart of miami so okay. i will send you to the to the moon right now <laughs> i'm like a double shot of espresso right now here we hey, go there hey, hey, you go ryan ryan you got some really cool stuff going on bethel tech is the first faith-based tech boot camp in the world um, I, it would be remiss if we didn't start there. How did that happen? Talk to me about Bethel School of Technology. How did it start? Why is it faith-based? What does that do? There's so many questions. Start talking and we'll go from there. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it really started with the idea of, um, you know, we're in partnership with a church called Bethel Church up in Northern California, in Redding, California. And the idea that um, we wanted to, um, focus on high skill, high character in, in the tech space. And, you know, we are a Christian faith-based uh, coding bootcamp. So um, in addition to the, the hard skills like full stack software development and data science and UI UX design that we teach, we also teach um, soft skills that are, are biblical principles. So these would be principles like uh, healthy relationships and community, culture of honor, um, brave communication, um, all these uh, types of soft skills that companies are investing millions of dollars to improve workplace culture. So whether or not a company can align, will align with our faith or not, they do see that piece of it being that, that character piece that is, is needed in the workplace in addition to the hard skills. So we had a seat at the table very quickly because of the soft skills that, in addition to the hard skills that we, that we focused on. All right. So here's the here's the tough question. Um, do companies right now shy away from or want to engage with uh, religiously affiliated uh, companies? So yours is a, is a, a coding boot camp with a faith based uh, underpinning. Do companies, you know, because, uh, you know, people can be touch touchy feely, sensitive when it comes to religious uh, affiliations yeah. and, you know, how that plays out in political realms and their stakeholders how, how are you being received right now yeah that's a great question and I, what i would tell you is that you know i think companies um if you you dive into especially some of the major um you know companies in silicon valley they all have these growing networks of faith-based uh employee resource groups um, and so whether it's, you know, it's Christian, it's Muslim, whatever, you know, there's these growing networks of faith-based employee resource groups that the, uh, it's all part of their, um, their, their um, vision to, uh, of, of inclusivity. And so it's really cool. Like I have a, a really good friend who was a founder of Faithforce at Salesforce. Her name's Sue Warnke. And they have this beautiful gathering every every month um, to just like bring their faiths to the table. They have these open honoring conversations and dialogue. And it's something that Salesforce has really encouraged. And what I would say about that is that um, Sue and, and her Faith Force group has, have done a phenomenal job of honoring um, the organizational culture. So if you are bringing high skill and high character um, to an environment, like I think that that's something that um, a, allows you to be able to work with others. So it hasn't been that people have shied away from us because we do have a um, you know, a, a, a faith-based focus, uh, so long as that the, the students that we're preparing can go into the, into the marketplace and they can do well at their job and they do well at, um, 
and how they treat other people. And, and so I think that's something that actually elevates the, the culture if it's done in authenticity and it's done um, and it's done well. You know, I, <clears throat> it's funny, Liz does a lot of work in social justice space. And one of the things that we all have is we all have internal biases as we think about things. And I think religious, uh, uh, religious affiliation is, it, it, you know, um, people perceive certain things, you know, just with anybody. And I just, I'm, I'm getting to my point here. This is, I'm not, I'm trying not to trip over my words, but I think that when people think about, um, and this is me assuming, so I'm going to make, make total ass of, of myself here, that with something uh, faith-based that, you know, you've got a, a bunch of really uh, of people who, you know, they're just going to church all the time. They're, you know, uh, white shirt, tie, button down, the whole deal. And I, the reason I bring this up, Ryan, is because I go to your website and I look at your leadership team. And you guys are like the coolest non-rock right? yes. ever existed. I'm here for it. I was like, the, the like, hairstyle alone was for yeah, me. I'm looking at Richard Gordon here as the spiritual director. I'm like, this guy, if he had a guitar in his hand right now, would be cr absolutely crushing it. Super cool looking, uh, young professionals trying to change the industry, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. I think, um, you know, we, again... Um, there are so many organizations that are looking for that high skill, high character component. And the idea of church has been evolving um, really for uh, decades now. And, and we see it in Silicon Valley. Um, you know, Facebook has a whole um, faith-based partnership initiative. And um, one of my dear friends, her, her name is Nona Jones. We actually helped, um, I helped her um, found um, Faith and Prejudice, which is a um, which is a, a grassroots movement to talk about eradicating systemic racism uh, and um, having the church come along and be a catalyst for that. And so she's the head, she's the global head of faith-based faith partnerships at Facebook. Facebook sought her out because of their, um, you know, their intentionality as they were building their community groups to focus on faith-based groups. And she has done a phenomenal job. We did, we've done a number of projects together um, and we've just had these really beautiful discussions uh, about what it looks like to honor others, what, it, you know, in, in what you say and what you do and go after those things that are important. Like we should be going after those things um, that, that help people. I mean, that's, that's my whole philosophy from day one is like my mission is to help people, you know, in the, in the, the Bible it says, you know, what, what does, what does, what does God treasure? And it's his children. So it's my responsibility to treasure and my opportunity to treasure what he treasures. So everything starts from there. And it's really cool. Whenever you come with that mindset, how many, how many opportunities to have conversations on how can we work together? Those things, the things, the juices really start to flow and like, Hey, what can we do to really help communities, help people, you know, not just, discover what they can do but you know like how do they create legacy and and impact their communities and their environments as well liz you want to come in now i don't know if you have a if you're prepared to pop on if you are you're on mute i'm here sorry i just it's like the the catchphrase of uh the past year right you're on mute you're on I, mute. I just I'm glad you didn't do that on purpose because it validated everything I said about my mic skills being up there with your Zoom skills at this point. <laughs> We're in a battle for who can. <laughs> but I love what Ryan is saying because I think I have a, a, a Gen Z uh, student, a college student, she's 22. And I think that really 
resonates with that generation of student in that, and even older in that a lot of us now are looking at where we go to school, where do we work, where do we participate in terms of where we are in our communities. And I think what Ryan said is really true that people are thinking about social entrepreneurship. People are thinking about what stance is my employer or my workplace taking on some of these uh, really important issues in society and where am I shopping and where am I spending my dollars and does that represent the philosophy that resonates with me in terms of um, something I can feel proud of and something I can align myself with. So I'm really so happy that Ryan spoke to that because I think it really goes to the heart of what students are looking for now. Ryan, tell me about, because I'm from a faculty perspective, I love what you're doing. Everything that you're doing is so unique and so different, but so needed. And I think on the podcast, we're always talking about upskilling and reskilling and different things that as an education sector, we can do better. So can you tell us, for those that may not understand or know, because some of them, some of the listeners may be more in the traditional sphere as far as higher ed delivery. And I know for myself, I've worked more in like community colleges or career colleges. So tell us about the structure of like a boot camp program, the programs that you offer so that our listeners can get a good understanding of exactly what you're doing to serve. And I love that you're talking about the, the hard skills as well, the, the practical hands-on skills as well as bringing in some of those um, additional really important um, life skills and soft skills as well. How does that actually function for a student coming in through the door that wants to sign up for your program? And I've got to hear about your retention rates. Your retention and your graduation rates, your placement rates are to die for. So tell us how you are able to manage to accomplish that because I think anyone in higher ed to have 80% retention and 85% placement after graduation is like we all want to know how are you doing that? Yeah. No, I appreciate that. And I, I would say, you know, we have, uh, I love what uh, IBM's former CEO, Ginny uh, Rometty said, she said that, you know, we're, we're evolving into a world where it's not about blue collar or white collar skills. It's about new collar skills. And what can you learn um, for the future of work that's immediately applicable? And it doesn't necessarily mean that you need a two year or a four year degree. Can you go to um, an accelerated learning program like a boot camp and learn, you know, anywhere from 12 weeks to, you know, to nine months? Um, a um, in-demand skill that you can then go and and be immediately hireable for a, a high-paying, high-growth career. And you know, technology, the tech space is is really front and center of that. If you look at any of the the major uh, job publications, they list software developers the um, the most in-demand um, uh, career in the next ten years. And now you're seeing data science uh, move up the chart. You're seeing um, you know, UI, UX designer, cybersecurity analyst. So, you know, the idea that you can come and there's also a lot of people that are having to pivot their careers, uh, and especially with what we've been through the last year um, with the high unemployment rates and people losing their jobs. You know, can I come in and actually learn something that in less than a year, if I started today, I could have a $60,000, $70,000 job as a junior developer with the growth potential of making six figures and in a few years. We have an example of that. We have a student who was an Uber driver, you know, had a beautiful young family, just trying to make ends meet, went through our program. Three months later, got a $65,000 job. Then less than a year later, got a promotion to make $130,000. It completely changed his life and it changed his family's life as well. And so, you know, that's the, the, 
you know, ed, the degree is becoming unbundled as well. Like we have all these different ways to be able to learn and it's not necessarily from a traditional education standpoint. However, these things can work in tandem. Like our program is articulated as 27 college credits into a bachelor's degree. So should somebody choose to go and get their, their, their bachelor's in business or computer science, they can utilize the time that they spent with us to save themselves time and money on a, on a bachelor's degree. So I think we're going to see more and more of those things um, come into, um, into the forefront. And, you know, boot camps are just one example of being able to, um, to meet the market where it's at and help um, companies match up with um, individuals because there's such a talent recession in the tech space right now. There's, you know, there's one qualified candidate for every three open positions before COVID. And even if you look at the numbers within COVID, you know, the tech space is continuing to hire and the unemployment rate is relatively low compared to other sectors. So it's, it's neat to be able to provide something like that where we can get people in and out and get them on their journey as soon as possible. And then for the retention part of it, do you think a lot of that has to do with so much of the fact that you're weaving in a lot of those other skills and, yes. and making it relative to the students' lives and what they're going to do after? Liz, that's a great question and a great observation. So absolutely. I've been in online higher ed for you know almost uh, 15 years now, and I have not seen the, the level of community in an online program. Um, in my 15 years, like we have at Bethel Tech. And so much of that has to do with the community that is built within the, um, you know, our faith-based curriculum and the, and the weekly meetings that the cohorts have together where they're just locking arms. Like they lift each other up. Like this is not easy. It's rigorous. It's going to kick your butt. You're going to be banging your head against a wall. And, you know, it can feel like very easy to just give up. And um, their entire community comes around them says hey you you were called for this and we're with you we believe in you and the stuff that they're learning it's it's really cool because you're seeing the transformation in their lives and what they receive then they just carry out into their environments after they graduate and now they're giving that away which is very cool like um and then the other part of it too is they always come back to us so we have this very engaged alumni network. They get to come in and sit in our calls with our with our our different sessions on that faith based side of it. We call it um, a revival group, which Richard Gordon is the person that actually oversees that. And it really we you know my COO she's been in online higher ed longer than I have, and we just look at each other like this is it. Like we didn't set out for that to be the fruit of it, but like the. It, the secret sauce of it is the community that we build in that faith-based community group component. Brian, the tech space, as you guys are in any tech company, especially ones where you're learning coding and, and whatever, and you're going to go work for a large organization, um, uh, ethics and cybersecurity and all of these things become issues. And one of the biggest worries, and you've seen it, um, with privacy concerns, they have GDPR, they have uh, California has its own set of privacy tech regulations. Um, uh, the GDPR is the Great Britain, I don't remember what, the, what it stands for, um, but the European Union uh, tech rules, the concerns around ethics and technology are there and they're real. Is that why you think the faith-based component is really resonating with, you know, because I, I look at your tagline and it's, upstart your career, uplift your world, you know, combining ethics and, and um, 
don't know whatever else character is the word you used with tech skills you know somebody you could hack basically is important right for companies to really feel like they're hiring a complete employee yeah i think i think that's part of it um i think you know no company wants to hire somebody who's ultimately going to get them on the front page of the the new york times for a negative reason you know so and tech is evolving so quickly like there are things that we just don't even think about and it and it may you know, I don't even think a, a lot of it's intentional. It's just like, oh my gosh, we didn't even think of that. Like, you know, like if you think about how like Facebook was formed and all these social media platforms and how they've evolved to become such a part of our life, there are, there are very deep questions we have to, ethical questions we have to ask ourselves on a daily basis as this, as this company has become much larger than itself. And so I think that, you know, I've had CIOs and CTOs um, tell me, you know, if I had to choose, if you forced me to choose, now my ideal expectation is that I would choose an A plus person in terms of skill and an A plus person in terms of character. But if I had to choose one of the other, one over the other, somebody who had maybe a, um, an A in skill, but maybe a C in terms of their character and how they interact with others or vice versa, I would take the high character person over the high skill person because I can teach them the skills. It's very hard to teach them the character component. And, and that's why they like what we do because we are reinforcing that um, in our program. And then the other thing I would say is that, um, you know, in terms of, of the, the ethics of it, you, you know, there, there are people that are, on the front lines of these emerging technologies that are asking themselves. And I think faith always brings this up like, hey, just because we can do this, should we be doing this? So I think that's something that's really important for any well-run company to always ask themselves, hey, just because we can do this, should we be doing it? And I think that that's what some of the um, individuals in the tech space that have a faith-based background, they're at the, the forefront of making sure that they ask those questions. Talk to me about the dem demographics just a tad. Um, you know, I had a limited ex experience with uh, coding boot camps uh, many years ago when I would say when there was really an explosion of coding boot camps across the country and everybody was trying to get into the game, including colleges and universities across the United States who were buying up at that time. They're going out and buying coding boot camps and then, you know, the coding bootcamp was a subsidiary of XYZ University or whatever else. And so I have a little bit of experience. And one of the things that was the biggest challenge at that time, and we're talking 2016-ish, 15, 16, was really a lack of diversity in the, the, the people who were attending coding bootcamps, primarily white males, right? There weren't as many females in general and definitely not diverse, uh, a, a palette so to speak, of, of diverse candidates. There just weren't that many diverse candidates looking at coding boot camps at that time. It was really a, a, a white male dominated uh, industry. Is that still the case today? And, and that's not a, a statement. Um, I don't ask that question to, to back you in a corner at all, because if that's the state of the industry, that is. And if it is, um, what's, what are you guys doing to diversify the portfolio of, of candidate? And if it's not the case, that's great. Talk to me about the diversity that exists. If you're experiencing any level of marketing challenge right now, you've got to ask the hard questions and you need answers. Are you using the right mix of channels to get in front of your future students? 
Is your messaging personalized and delivered in a medium your audience and future students will respond to? And are you spending more time building reporting than listening in on what your students really want? All of these questions will get answered when you sign up for your free consultation with MDT Marketing. Head to mdtmarketing.com slash edup, submit your information, and talk to MDT. Don't go it alone. Find the right partner. The guys at MDT, the team at MDT is absolutely amazing. Whether your challenge is the cost of inquiries, your melt, your branding, the bad and incomplete information that come with your inquiries, whatever it is, an audit of your challenges will help your institution and it's free. mdtmarketing.com slash edup. Yeah, so it's a valid point, and the the divide still exists. I think that there's a lot of intentionality to eliminate the divide. Um, and really, I'll tell you, the seed of Bethel Tech was planted in my heart about five and a half years ago when I was part. I had the opportunity to be heavily involved with a tech hire grant um, up in Queens, New York. Uh, it was a $4 million grant. We worked in partnership. Um, with LaGuardia Community College to help, um, uh, um, you know, single moms come in amongst other individuals in an underserved, what I would call at hope community um, to learn to code Java in 16 weeks. And then they would go um, and three months later get $80,000 jobs, like it changed their lives. So, um, you know, in at Bethel Tech, 37% of our student population is female compared to 17% uh, of uh, the um, uh, you know computer science degrees uh, are female, so um, there's a there's a huge boost in that. And then we've been intentional about we do a lot of church partnerships, um, and we we just partnered with a, a National Hispanic uh, Christian uh, Leaders Conference, which is a consortium of forty thousand Hispanic American churches, where we're getting Bethel Tech to their communities and their audiences, and working with um, a, a number of different. Um, um, organizations, uh, there's a there's a tech, uh, there's a organization that focuses on hiring women in tech that we're in the final stages of partnership with, um, and I'm really excited about that because it should be the, the opportunity should be for everyone, and the more and more that we see individuals that are diverse in this industry, the more um, that we're going to be actually will will we'll drive toward that. And to your point, Joe, you know what do you think about <laughs> when the eight in the movies in the in the mid to late 80s when we started seeing all these different um images of of coders it was anthony michael hall you know the the young kind of geeky white dude in his parents basement with headphones zoning out on the computer matrix right yeah so we have to we have to be intentional about that because we have a lot of ground to make up and so that's something that's really important to us and we do it in partnership with a number of like i said um uh, the, like the nhclc we're working with a number of um, um black churches to um help their communities get access to bethel tech which is super exciting for me yeah it's it's super interesting right um that that Oh, stereotype of of the of the kid. Uh, what's the movie with, with told Zuckerberg's story? Um, oh, where they're all social just, network or something. Yeah, they're all social just network. drinking beers and the party's happening around them, but they're like so zoned into the computer and it's you know these guys just screwing off somewhere. So I don't know. You know, it is interesting that that you know, and it's necessary that that changes, right? And Liz, you talk about this all the time. You talk about um, uh, uh, minority and BIPOC people in in STEM. 
uh, that there is a divide uh, that exists. And, you know, coding boot camps is, is when you think about STEM and technology, it is one of the areas where diversity is definitely needed. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that when I think about social justice and the wealth gap and equity, definitely, obviously getting more uh, Black students, other students of color, those that are uh, unemployed currently, they're looking to upskill and reskill. It's definitely a concern. I wanted Ryan to speak a little bit about particularly which of the programs are like the hot programs. If someone's um, thinking about this as a career or if schools are thinking about ways to improve their offerings or just from your own experience as far as just as a society, where are some of the things that we need to do better in terms of upskilling and, and reskilling? And I think particularly for um, black communities, uh, communities that have more marginalized um, residents, whether it be students or those that are re-entering the job market. One of the things I think about as far as why there's so much attention about the lack of black employees in STEM is because we know that in that area, it's the quickest way to make up the wealth, the wealth gap because of the ability, like you said earlier, to take a, a, a year long program. And before you know it, you could be in a $60,000 paying job and even ramp your income up to a hundred thousand or more. And we know that um, historically black communities have typically those that reside in black communities are going back schools or, or even graduated from college are just not able to make up the earnings in order to close that wealth gap and, and be able to pass that on down to the next generation. So talk to us a little bit about the thought process as far as the programs that you offer and how those might be able to help in those communities to try to give better opportunities for uh, job prospects and income prospects. Yeah, I think part of it is just how quickly you're able to um, to get in and get out and get a job. And there's such a wealth of job opportunities in the tech space. And we just, we have to be intentional and focused. Uh, Bishop T.D. Jake says something that I love. He says, we have to get the things in the room to actually make hope happen. And he's got a, 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 um, a, a STEAM foundation that's focused on just what you said, Liz, uh, about providing these opportunities to um, you know, uh, people of color communities and also underserved, underrepresented communities. Um, I call them at hope communities. I took that from uh, Carol Mason, who's the president of the John Jay School of Justice. We did an interview with her on Faith and Prejudice. And she said, we need to stop talking about this from an at-risk perspective because our mm -hmm. words matter. So Absolutely. the narrative matters. And it's actually, you know, um, it's those undertones that actually create culture. So what if you- And Ryan, I want to let you know, since you said that words matter, you are invited to the barbecue because you just quoted T.D. Jake. So already you got a, you got an open invitation to the barbecue anytime you get ready. I have Hey. You haven't gotten one yet. Okay, well, your time's coming soon. Oh, okay. I, I love it, but you gotta, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta shift your focus. And even just saying, going from talking about at-risk communities to at-hope communities, that goes from seeing the seeing a, a community as a as a statistic, um, to shifting your focus to seeing um, a community as individual people and as our brothers and sisters. And that's it's very good, by that the way. That's a that's a really good switch of work. Uh, you know, it's a really good optimistic way to look at uh, at uh, the upside, right? Mm -hmm. Rather than the downside. I really like what you're saying. So, yeah. So, and so the goal of these accelerated new uh, accelerated learning programs, boot camps like ours is that 
you know, our minimum expectation, you know, let's just use the church as an example, is to give someone a fish like that, like, you know, that's the Bible explicitly states like, hey, do you love me? Jesus says to Peter, um, do you love me? Then um, tend to my sheep and feed my lambs. And um, so our minimum expectation is that we should be giving someone a fish. But our ideal expectation is what if you could teach someone to fish in the 21st century and that they could create a thriving ecosystem and a legacy and a flaming line that would impact generations to come. We have to start thinking in this matter and using education, which I believe is the most powerful lever for economic mobility in the world to change things. And the more opportunities that we can provide to everyone, especially where the future of work is, the more that we'll see progress being made. And we just need to be intentional about it. So tech is the best way to do that because I think tech, it allows for anyone anywhere to be able to, um, you know, dive into a high paying, high growth career that's not going away. <laughs> Every company is becoming a tech company, whether they're in fast food or, you know, hospitality, they all are focused on tech talent and they need it like yesterday. So the, the opportunity is immense. We have to have the narrative. We have to have the intentionality to, to help everybody get there. Ryan, we had on uh, um, Ken Eisner, the, mm-hmm. I think at the time, I think he actually has a new job now, but at the time he's the director of worldwide education programs for Amazon Web Services. And he was talking about that there just is not enough people who understand cloud computing. There are not enough coders. There, there just isn't enough in the workforce to, to ensure that technology companies can keep creating great technology because there just isn't enough workers right now. Are, are you guys, I mean, you're spitting out graduates. Is it you know, where they're just going, oh my gosh, I've, I could work wherever I want. I have so many job offers coming at me right now because they're just as a short, you know, the supply and demand is, is off, right? There's, uh, there's not enough supply and definitely a lot more demand. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, pre-COVID, there were a million unfilled tech jobs in the U.S. and only, you know, 60,000 computer science graduates every year, another 20 to 30,000 coding boot camp graduates. So you're looking at 80 to 90,000 new graduates infused into the workforce. However, you know, that million jobs, I mean, those aren't just entry-level jobs. So, um, they, there is, there's kind of a tension of companies needing qualified talent, but also needing people with experience. So I think what we're going to see us win is, um, schools like ours partnering directly with large corporations to make sure that we're working together to get the graduates or the students exactly what they need to move into these roles. Um, whether that's acquiring talent from boot camps or if it's reskilling or and upskilling um, their current workforce for the future of work. Um, you know, AT&T had a, a workforce 2020 initiative where they were, um, a lot of their legacy positions um, that people have held for you know 10, 20 years, you know, in the next five to 10 years, those aren't going to exist, but they don't want to put these individuals on the street, but they want to ship them into these new roles. So it still is something where a boot camp graduate still needs to hustle. They need to know like as hard as they worked in the boot camp over a you know six to nine month span, uh, they have to put that type of intensity and um, you know uh, grit into finding the job and making sure they connect with hiring managers. So the opportunities are 
endless, quite frankly, but you still have to put yourself out there and you have to, you have to, you have to, you have to sell yourself to the company and why you'd be a good fit for them. So, um, yeah, but the, these, you know, it's a good, it's a good time to be getting into tech because once you get out of, out of a tech program, um, man, you can just go on, on Indeed or Glassdoor and, and there are pages upon pages of, of job openings available and remote too, which is, which is kind of new for junior developers. Uh, but especially with remote work becoming so important with COVID, um, those opportunities for junior developers and junior data analysts have, have opened up quite a bit. That's really interesting. Liz? I have a really, um, a question is, I, as you were speaking about the, the different, uh, how Joe was talking about the cloud computing and the different programs and how someone was able to come in and, and take advantage of some of the, the ability to just jump in and, and maybe companies are looking for these careers. What would you say as far as your unique ability to serve these communities? Are you able to, like if you see something as an up and coming career, cause I guess I don't know enough about, and I'm like so like anxious now to learn more about how coding in terms of the coding boot camps, how this actually works. Uh, but are you able to roll out programs relatively quickly? I know one of the things that frustrates Joe and I of being because of being in higher ed for decades upon that, especially Joe, he's been in oh forever. Like I'm no watch it. <laughs> I've been for a while, but definitely not. But seriously, because of the fact that in higher ed, particularly colleges and universities, it takes you have to go through accreditation, you have to everyone has to get buy-in about a program. We have to go through state and we have to go through the accrediting body to get a program rolled out. It's almost like by the time you think about rolling out a program, it's almost like, okay, that's not a hot program anymore. It's like it takes you like a year just to get a program from inception to being able to roll that to a student. Are you able to be relatively agile as far as the programs that you're able to offer? Like, what is your mix as far as when you're bringing on different programs? Are you looking at what the um, employers are looking for? Do you just look in, like take, uh, maybe looking at what's like up and coming? Like, what is the thought process? Yeah, well, that's a great question. I mean, it does, we are, I think a little bit more agile uh, than, you know, the universities, but it still is a process. I mean, you know, six to nine month process. We're in the state of California. so. We're licensed by the uh, California BPPE, um, oh. uh, the Bureau of Private Post-Secondary Education. That's and actually interesting a, to know because I didn't I didn't really realize that you had to go. I, I kind of just assumed mm -hmm. that you just would say, okay, yeah, we'll just put this program out there. So actually, I, I find that really fascinating. Yeah, it, it is. And it's good. Um, you know, the BPPE is a consumer watchdog group, basically, so that there's no type of predatory practices. And Absolutely. so they're very thorough in making sure that um, you have a legitimate program. So I, I'm actually really appreciative of, of that process. We also have relationships with universities um, where they build us into their, um, their undergraduate programs. So that's a little bit quicker to maneuver. Um, um, but what I would say too, is that what you're seeing, and I think Joe um, talked about this a little bit when he's talking about the bootcamp space, is you're seeing um, some online program managers like uh, Trilogy and, and some others that are working, they're creating private label boot camps for um, some of the major colleges and universities across the country. I think there were 138 new boot camps listed last year alone. Um, and the majority of those were actually at colleges and universities. Um, and, and that's a little bit quicker, I think, to implement. You build that under um, a university's adult continuing education program. Uh, so 
there is a little bit more agility in doing it, but it still does need to go through the proper vetting process so that um, it's a good program and it's going to be something that that um, is going to be good for the consumer. The other thing I'll say to that is you asked, I, there are things that I would love for us to go after in terms of emerging technology. Like one of the things that I'm passionate about is quantum computing. I think that we're in the early stages of adopting quantum computing. It hasn't even been commercialized yet. IBM's doing some phenomenal work on um, education resources for quantum. Um, I think you know, 25 to 50 years from now, we'll have boot camps that are focused on quantum computing, whereas, you know, the same in, in the same vein that we have them for software development right now. It's just, you know, 25 years ago, software development was in an early stage as well. So I would love to go toward those things, but we have to meet the market where it's at. So, if, you know, we have to understand our 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 student as well. They're coming in mostly as a career pivoter. They're, you know, 30 years old. They have a kid, uh, at least one kid. You know, they're in a job that they just feel like is, not going to, um, it's not going anywhere. So they need to, they need to make a pivot very quickly. So we have to get them the in-demand skills that can get them a job as quick as possible um, once they, they go through our program. So there are things that I want to go after um, in terms of emerging technology, and there's things that I know we have to go after to meet the market where it's at right now. Ryan, I don't know if you know this about Liz, but she also is very interested in quantum computing. Liz, I was wondering if you could just give us a little bit of information that, about quantum computing. I'll leave that to Ryan. <laughs> hey, no. So let me be clear. I, I have a, um, I'm a novice and I'm, I'm fascinated by it, but I, I don't know. Like <laughs> Ryan, just the fact that you said quantum computing, me and Liz are really the novices. The fact that that would have never left my, my mouth or hers. Not at uh, all. Is, yeah. <laughs> but, but here's what I'll tell you too, guys. So, you know, whenever you at like talking to IBM and their, their education, they have a, they have a, like a summer camp. It's so cool. Um, and I forgot the, the website, but, you know, asking them, how can we prepare students to actually start learning this? And like, well, they need to learn Python, you know? So that's where we can meet them at. And Python is a, is a fast, uh, one of the fastest growing um, languages um, in coding. And if you like Coursera, is, I think Coursera's number one course that they um, they sold last year was it was a Python course. I read like that too. To Python. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so, you know, even learning software development right now is preparing you for the emerging technology 25, 50 years from now. Everything builds upon itself. So if you have a working understanding of Python, um, you know, or in JavaScript, all, you know, um, a full stack, that's gonna put you in a position to continue to grow and learn. And it helps you get a good job right away too. So Ryan, this has been awesome. By the way, I was thinking before I, on a less than serious note here, I thought, Liz, if we title this episode, Joe and Liz talk to Ryan about quantum computing. Do you think oh, that will get yeah. us more listens or less? I I, I don't know. I say triple the listens oh, if you we think? do that. Sure. Anyway, Ryan, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you. I want to say too that, um, and one of the things we didn't get to, but I'll just soapbox it for a second at the risk of taking taking it from Liz here. Traditional higher education doesn't normally think as a boot of a boot camp as a competitor, and I maybe you don't think of yourself that way either, but. But when you're talking about addressing the adult student market, coding boot camps are a really, really fast and effective way for students to go outside of the traditional, normal, whatever, higher ed pathway 
and and higher education needs to ensure in general that it's providing and working with right you could look at a coding boot camp as a competitor you could also look at it as a coding boot camp like yours ryan and say this is something that's getting somebody a foot in the door in the higher ed and if they do great they might want to do more and so could we create a pathway toward an associate degree or bachelor's degree or master's degree depending on what level of education they have and that's really, I think, an important part of you. We didn't get to it today, but my final two questions for you, and you could put whatever you want onto that, are what do we want to talk about that we didn't get to about Bethel Tech that you think you'd want to leave our audience with? And number two, what does the future of higher education look like for you? Yeah, so let me answer, uh, just to follow up, I think that is a great observation, Joe. And what if we're getting into a season of disruption where we're flipping the higher ed model on its head. What if you could get immediately applicable skills like coding and go from being an Uber driver to, um, you know, making sixty-five, seventy $70,000 a year as a junior developer at Cigna Healthcare, for example. Once you're in there, and if you, if universities will create pathways with boot camps like ours, which we, like I mentioned, our program is articulated as 27 college credits um, into a university, William Jessup University, which is a regionally accredited institution out of California uh, through WASC. Um, you know, think about it this way. You go and you go through our program, you have 27 credits toward a, a university degree program. You get a job at $65,000 as a junior developer at Cigna Healthcare. Cigna will also give you upwards of ten dollars to $12,000 to go back and get your, your degree. So now that you have your job, you're making money and you can apply credits toward a degree program and your company will pay for it. It lessens the dependency of a university on Title IV because it's actually tuition reimbursement from the company. And you start creating these great pipelines and um, engagement opportunities with the companies to, to fulfill their employee education goals like that. To, and then what it does is for the student, it actually it drastically reduces the dependency on student loan debt. So I think it's a great opportunity to work with accelerated learning programs like ourselves um, and still be able to um, you know, pathway those students into a program and, and, increase, and, and lessen everybody's dependency on taking out um, student loan debt, which is the largest consumer debt in, in the U.S., over $1.6 I think now. So that, that's what I would say to that. So, Joe, that's a whole other podcast. Yeah, yeah, um, totally. You know, so, and, um, and then the second thing I would say, uh, you know, you asked about Bethel Tech, like we are focused on high skill, high character. Um, you know, we are a Christian coding boot camp. Um, uh, we, we're, we're focused on getting you um, the in-demand skills that you need to go and get a job, um, uh, you know, quickly after graduation. But we're also focused on you as the individual. Like our ultimate goal is that you would become who you're supposed to be within our organization so that you can be fully actualized and, and go into an environment and have the confidence to be who you're called to be, which ends up elevating the workplace and the environment because you you have these soft skills that you know how to interact with people and and you know how to get stuff done too. <laughs> 
I think the future of higher ed is is the stackable credentials, unbundling the degree. How do you work together um, from a traditional sense? I, you know, the degree has high value. It's not going away. But I think if you can do an A plus B plus C equals your degree, utilizing these different pathways, I mean, the, the student is becoming a very savvy consumer. And the student also is having to work typically right out of high school or during high school. So they can't spend oftentimes, you know, um, eight hours a day on a campus setting. Uh, and, you know, there's 31 million people in the U.S. that have you know, 30 plus college credits and no degree. We have to meet them where they're at and bring these types of programs to them. I think universities are starting to work closely with, um, you know, organizations and, and programs like ours at Bethel Tech um, to meet the student where they're at. And I, 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 I'm hopeful for higher ed. I think it's, it's the opportunity to be able to bundle that together and to get what you need, I think ultimately um, is going to be great for the employer, it's going to be great for the um, education provider, and it's going to be great for the student. Hey everybody, we hope you enjoyed that episode of the Edup Experience. To learn more about the Edup Experience, please visit our website at www.edupexperience.com and subscribe to our email list. Please share this podcast head over to Apple, and please give us a rating and review. We appreciate your feedback. And of course, subscribe to the Edup Experience so you're notified when our episodes drop. Here at the Edup Experience, our goal is to make education your business. Thanks for listening.